0: Hey, I'm Michael Woodley, pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're going to dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word.
1: You can turn to Exodus 2, but before we dig into that, I want to share with you, I want to have a moment where I can judge you really quickly, if I can, and to see if you're my people or not, okay? How many of you absolutely hate roller coasters? Raise your hand. Okay, that's my people right there. Hate roller coasters. I hate roller coasters. I am terrified of them. They're the worst thing in the world. I remember a few years ago, I went to Sandusky, Ohio, if you've been there. It's called the roller coaster capital of the world. We were actually, I was on a student trip, so we had some students with us, and we were heading from Niagara Falls to Chicago, and it was kind of on the way. We stopped there for a day at the amusement park, and my good friend Bobby, he was leading the trip. Uh, Bobby tells me, hey, you have to ride a roller coaster. You have to lead the way for our students, right? And I'm like, I'm not doing it. I hate roller coasters. I'm not getting on. He's like, trust me, listen, there's one at the back of the park that, that it's so smooth. It's wonderful. You, you will be fine, okay? You, you're going to love this roller coaster. Just trust me. Well, Bobby is a man of God, so I trusted Bobby and, and <laughs> took his word. And so uh, the gates open, and we head to the back of the park. And we go, and it just opened up, so there's not a line, and we get on. And I'm praying, and I'm trusting the Lord that he's going to use this experience for his good, right? And I'm on there, and uh, you know the beginning of the roller coaster starts ticking a lot, right? Tick, 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 tick. And we go all the way up to, I believe, the International Space Station, right? We are all the way as high as you can get to the top. And then we take that drop, and here we go, right? We take off. I believe there was 14 upside down. I don't know if it was that many, but you're going upside down. You're twisting. You're turning. It was terrible. It was one of the worst experiences of my entire life. And there was a picture. I decided not to show you that picture, and you cannot find that picture on social media either. But there was a picture at the end of that ride, as as we're coming to a close and I'm about as white as you can possibly get. I've lost all color in my face. I feel sick. I hated life, and I hated Bobby at the moment, right? And, uh, but I did it. The, the truth is, when we're on a roller coaster, whether you like them or not, and I'm not convinced if you say you like them that you actually like them. I think you just think it's cool to like them. I don't know anyone who likes them, but the truth is, when you're on a roller coaster, you're out of control, aren't you? And you're you're strapped in and you're twisting and you're turning and it feels chaotic and unsettled. You don't know up from down. You're all over the place. But another truth is when you're on that roller coaster, you're on a track, aren't you? And you're strapped in and what you're doing is guided. Guided. That there is a purpose to it. At the end of that ride, all of us got to the exact spot we were supposed to get to at the end of it. Though it didn't feel like it to me. By the time I landed at the end, I was exactly where I was supposed to be. We're starting a new series um, this week. And we're going through the life of Moses. And hopefully as a title that's catchy and that you would remember, the, the title of our sermon series is From Basket to Casket. And we're going to see why we talk about the basket here today. And we'll be looking at, the, as you see here, the unsettled life of Moses. Moses is a, a Bible character that most of us and most of the world is familiar with, even whether um, you're a Christian or not. Most of the world is familiar with Moses and they know the story of Moses' life. And by our measure, if you were to gauge his life versus your life, you would say Moses's life is highly unsettled. It's highly unsettled. In fact, there's a quote by D.L. Moody. It says this, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering that God, what God can do with a nobody, right? And we see this, this unsettledness of Moses' life of, of from the very beginning. Like I said, we're going to see today all the way into adulthood of not having a people and leaving and then coming back. And then in the world, like all, all sorts of unsettledness in his life. But there's a great truth I hope that you remember today. A great truth that all of us need to remember, and we see it in Moses' life, and it can be applied to our life. It's the main idea of our sermon. If you're taking notes, I would love for you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I would still for you to love, love for you to write this down because it's important for us as believers to remember. Our main idea is this. In God's plan for your life, unsettled does not equal unguided. In God's plan for your life and my life, unsettled does not equal Unguided. So I told you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be at the very beginning of Moses' Moses's life here. But I want to catch you up on what's going on. And so we see God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, the Israelites, the, the, the Hebrews. If you remember um, back to the, the, the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph, they are now in Egypt, right? The God's people are in Egypt. And they begin, to, the, the, they begin to grow. They are prosperous and they begin to grow in number. And then a new Pharaoh took over who did not remember Joseph and did not remember that relationship. And everything changed for the Israelite people. And there was a fear of how, how large they were. And so he enslaved the Israelite people and forced them to do hard labor. And then not only did he enslave them and force them to do hard labor, but to, to stunt their growth, to slow them down, a new rule was put in place by the king that all baby boys to the, born to the Hebrews must be thrown into the Nile River. Now, I know if you've been in your Bible or been in church for a while, you hear that and you're like, yep, I know that's true. Think about that. The king put a rule in place that any baby boy that was to be born was to be thrown and killed in the Nile River. It's absolutely horrific, isn't it? And that is the context of the story we are in today. They count we're in today. In Exodus 2, we're going to read the first 10 verses of Exodus chapter 2. Let's stand in the honor of the reading of God's word as we walk through Exodus chapter 2. Says this: Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Let's stop. Stop for a moment. Stay standing. We traditionally, we read through all of our verses right here. And as many of you, you know the life of Moses. You're already ahead of me in the story. I want you to stop right here. You see, we get so familiar with these accounts that we, sometimes we don't even think of them as real. But this is real what is happening here. And listen, I haven't even said the name Moses yet. I've told you this is about Moses. But I haven't even said this is Moses yet. This is a baby. And I want you to be in this moment right here. Try to do this. These are real people. Put yourself in this moment. There's a married couple. And this married couple, they they love each other and they get pregnant. Hallelujah. That that is a blessing, right? They get pregnant. And I, I would guess because this rule has been placed that all baby boys are to be thrown in the Nile River. It doesn't say this, but I would guess, knowing how humans work, that this mother, as she is pregnant, is desperately praying for a little girl. That she is praying to God, would you not give me a boy? Would you give me a girl so I don't have to watch her be thrown in the Nile? But lo and behold, she, there's not ultrasounds and all this stuff back then. She gives birth, and it is a boy. And she has a boy. Imagine the joy and the terror that exists in this mother in this moment. And she has to begin to hide this baby boy, or he will be killed. And then you get to a point, if you've ever been around babies very long, they're not real good at staying quiet, right? And so this baby gets to a point where she can no longer hide him. And so she has to come up with another plan. And so she has to put the baby at the edge of the Nile River. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And not only does she have to let her baby go to the edge of the Nile River, but she leaves her young daughter at a distance to watch this child during the day. Be here in this moment. Don't look ahead to the life of Moses. Think about what they are walking through. And I could easily see the people in this story begin to ask, where is God right now? We're supposed to be his people. Why is he not taking care of us? Why would he allow this to happen? Why did he give me a baby boy? Why doesn't he do something about this right now? And everything about their life feels unsettled. But I promise you, as we will see, that is not equal unguided. Let's look at verse 5. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, and her slave girl took it, opened it, and saw him, the child. And there he was, a little boy crying. She felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I pray that as we open your word today, we would see your hand at work. But God, we wouldn't just read a familiar Bible story maybe that some of us have heard since we were kids. God, I, th- there may be someone in this room that is hearing this for the first time, and God, I, I envy this person in many ways because we can go, grow so accustomed to your word that we just breeze through it. But God, would we sit in the reality of what is happening right here? And God, would we learn from it? Will we see that unsettled does not mean unguided? And God, that your hand was at work in Moses' life, just like your hand is at work in our life. Would we trust you? God, as we open your word, as we study and dig into it, would it transform us? And would we look more like you when we walk out of this room than we did when we walked into it? God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys may have a seat. So we're, we're talking this main idea that unsettled does not equal Uh, does not equal unguided. Say unsettled. Unsettled. We know this to be true in our life. We feel unsettledness in our life and brokenness in our life. You, I, I could walk around this room right now and put a microphone in your face, though you would really hate me if I did that many of you. You could tell me about unsettled moments that you have walked through in life. Some of you are in the middle of them. Some of you can already look back and see God working in them. And some of you, you got some ahead of you that you don't even know are ahead of you. But unsettledness is true for every single one of us. And so, what I want to do today is in the life of Moses, pull some truth out of it that helps us walk through these unsettled moments of life to see how God is always guiding our lives. Our first point, if you're taking notes today, is this God can make paths of deliverance from plans for destruction, God can make paths of deliverance. For plan, from plans of destruction. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at the beginning here. Verse 1 says, Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. Let's stop right there for a minute. This is a big deal for you. We walk through this. And so they're from the tribe of Levi. And if you know anything, the tribe of Levi was known for making good blue jeans. Okay, no, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that's not true. That's a terrible dad joke. I apologize. But we see this Levite man and this Levite woman they come together and get married Look at verse 2 The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son When she saw that he was beautiful She hid him for three months This couple, these Levites They love their baby, don't they? They look at their baby and uh, it says that She that she became pregnant gave birth to a son She saw that he was beautiful This word, it means good It means pretty It means that, hey, I looked and this baby is good It is beautiful to me Every parent thinks that about their baby, don't they? Even if your baby ain't beautiful, you think your baby's beautiful, right? Everyone else is like, oh, yeah, really nice. But you're like, this is a beautiful baby, isn't it? And this is what this mother's feeling in this moment is this baby is beautiful. And could you imagine having a baby? And then as we see in the story, having to hide that baby for three months. Now, we know babies get louder as they get older. But babies, the only form of communication they have is what? Crying. And so she has to hide this child for three months. And so this took great faith on her part, the great faith to step out to say, hey, I'm not going to follow the rule that I have to throw my baby in the Nile, but I'm going to hide my child. Some scholars would even argue in the, the way that this sentence is uh, laid out and this idea of she saw her baby as beautiful, that maybe, just maybe, Moses' mama was able to look at her child and God implanted in her heart that God had special plans for this child. And so she acted in faith to preserve the baby, to, 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 to save the baby. How do I know she took faith? Because many of you would say, I think any of us would do this, right? Most of us would want to try to save our child instead of chunking our baby into the Nile River. We would try every attempt to save it. But this mother had faith. How do we know that? It tells us in Hebrews 11, chapter 11, if you were to turn there in verse 23, it said, by faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the, the child as beautiful and they did not fear the king's eat it. By faith, they hid their child. The, the, Moses' parents loved Moses and feared God more than they feared a king or a rule. They knew in their life that they had to follow what God called them to do and not what a king told them to do. They knew that this baby boy was beautiful and worth protecting. You see, their love for God and their son was greater than any fear for a king. My question is for you today, do you have this kind of faith? Do you have the kind of faith that would, even in the most unsettled moments of life, you trust that God is with you? You see, the, the mother, as I mentioned a moment ago, and the father, they, they could have began to, to focus on things like this that we kind of do in these moments. Hey, in all of history that I could have had a kid, it's right now. But like, why, why in this moment do I have to have a kid? Like, why do I have to have a kid when this rule exists to kill my baby boy? God, please give me a little girl. God, God, please give me a little girl, and I don't even have to worry about that anymore. God, why would you give me a boy? God, did you do this to torture me? God, where are you in this moment? They had every reason to begin to question and doubt God. But no, by faith, Hebrews tells us, they trusted the Lord, even in the unsettled moments of their life. By faith, do you trust God even in the most unsettled moments of your life? Do you know that he is with you and guiding you in ways that you can't even understand? Look at at the next verse, verse 3. When she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. This is to kind of make it sealed up and enclosed. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. So Moses could no longer be hidden. His lungs had gotten strong enough to a point that when he would cry, it would be um, obvious to those around him that a baby was in that house and it would be checked out. So they reached an age where his parents had to act and they had to do something. And so a new, another huge act of faith is shown here by the parents. And I would argue an even greater act of faith is shown here. Because before, you're hiding the baby in your care, and you're trying to take care of them. But what, what happens, and most believe kind of the context and the culture at the time, remember the Israelites, they would have lived together, right? The Israelite people would have lived together. And so during the day, Egyptians would have came around and checked out for baby boys and looked out for them. But they weren't really coming around, most believe, at nighttime. They would have had to carry lamps. There wasn't electricity, remember? So they would have had to carry lamps around and begin to search for babies. And so daytime was the most dangerous of times because it was obvious, visible, and a lot of times Egyptian, would have been around. And so during the daytime, she says, I cannot hide this child anymore. And so she takes it down to the Nile River and sets it among the reeds in this basket. This faith, man, it is a tremendous faith to let go of your child and to trust. She let him go in a basket down by the river. Now, I know in some of my teenage years, my mother would have loved to send me down a river, right? But not in this way. Now, not, not in this way of, of letting go. And, and I believe, again, this is not in the Word of God, but I believe just from being a human and, and, and kind of putting myself in this story that maybe there was a hope on the mother's behalf of, hey, babies are supposed to be thrown into the Nile. And so I'm going to set the baby right on the edge of the Nile. That way, in case the baby is found, maybe they would say, hey, an effort was made to put this baby in the Nile River and maybe some grace would be shown towards the baby, right? Mother's even thinking, trying to think through those scenarios and putting the baby there. This has to feel like such a hopeless and an unsettled moment as she sets her baby in this basket and seals it up. In this unsettled and chaotic moment, we have to know that it's not unguided. You see, she put this baby in a basket. How can I say, as a mother is having to put their baby in a basket, that that moment is not unguided? I'll tell you how I know that. You see, this word for basket that we see here that, that Moses has put in, that word is only used at one other place in the Word of God. And the place that this word for basket is used in the Word of God is the word ark we see in the story of Noah and the Ark. You see, Noah's family was put in an ark, though the, the rain came down and the flooding was happening around him, the earth was being destroyed and cleared. Noah's family was safe by God's hand in the ark. And the same hand that held Noah's family safe in the ark from the destruction around them was the same hand that had its hand has his hand on the basket while Moses slept inside of it in the Nile River. It's a beautiful picture of just because it seemed unsettled, just because it seemed desperate, God was with them in that moment. And one of the scariest, most difficult, terrible moments of her young life, God was there. God had it under control. Would you believe that in the most difficult moments of your life, some of you, you've walked through them, you've lost a loved one, you lost a spouse, you've lost a job. You think of the hurt that has come in those moments. Would you look back and see that God was using it and God was with me every step of the way? And for some of us in the room, you are right in the middle of that right now. And you can't see it and you don't know it. And it's hard to believe it. But would you trust that even as she laid her baby in a basket in the night Nile River, she trusted the Lord had him. Would you trust in your toughest, most difficult, most chaotic, unsettled moment that God has it, that God is with you and he has not left you? The moment that is terrible, the moment that brings anxiety, the moment that you prayed would never happen is here. Would you trust that he's with you? That's not unguided. You see, the, the Nile River You've heard of the Nile just in history. just ex- still, still exists today, obviously. The Nile River was Pharaoh's chosen instrument for destruction, wasn't it? He could have picked several different ways to try to kill the, the baby boys, but he chose the Nile River as his pathway to destruction. Throw the babies in there and kill those babies. But what I love about our God and how he can redeem terrible and ugly things in our life, he redeems even the instrument of destruction, Right? The the instrument of destruction of the Nile River is now the instrument of deliverance for Moses as we read ahead in the story. God uses it to deliver Moses and to deliver his people. The instrument that was designed for destruction of their people was the same one that brought their deliverance. This is foreshadowing an instrument of destruction later on made out of two pieces of wood that was made to destroy human life. And as people nailed Jesus to this cross, this instrument of destruction, they said, there's your king. Look at him. He's dead. There's no hope. And it said God chose to use that instrument of destruction as a tool and a plan for deliverance for all people, not just the Israelites. You see, that's a beautiful thing about God. He can redeem the ugly and the terrible. We see that in the basket and the Nile River, and we see that on the cross. Definitely, my friends, Unsettled does not equal unguided. That leads us to our second point today. Our second point is this. God can bring mercy in the middle of our chaos. Say mercy. mercy. God can bring mercy in the middle of our chaos. What do I mean by that? Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child. And there he was, a little boy, crying. Again, let's not jump ahead in the story. I, I didn't really emphasize earlier, but remember when, when mama takes Moses and sets him down in the reeds, she also leaves her young daughter, Miriam. It doesn't say her name here, but we learn that later on. Miriam, to close by to watch out after the baby. And prayerfully, no one takes this baby and no one does anything to this baby. And so here we see that this moment where Pharaoh's daughter is walking along. Now, don't, like I said, don't jump ahead. Think of the terror of this moment. Miriam must be scared to death right now. You're praying all day long that, that, that our baby brother, our baby boy doesn't get taken or doesn't get even seen in this basket. But we're praying, hey, if it does get seen, if he does get seen, would it be someone who has mercy? Would it be someone who maybe would help us out? Would it be another Israelite? Would it be someone who would help us in this moment? And the person that notices the basket is probably the last person they want to discover that basket. You see, Pharaoh is the one who gave the rule to kill all the babies, and Pharaoh's daughter is the one who finds it. And this is probably the last person Miriam or the family wants to find baby Moses. And look what, ha- look what happens when she finds it. Verse 6, opened it, saw him, the child, and there he was, a little boy crying. This is remarkable. She felt sorry for him and said, This is one of the Hebrew boys. When Pharaoh... Uh, Pharaoh's daughter opens the basket. Moses does the exact right thing he needs to do in that moment Maybe god caused him to do in this moment. What did he do when she opened the basket? He cried He cried. Why, Why do I say that? You see it tells us when moses cried she looked at him and felt sorry For him If you've raised kids in your household before you know when kids cry There's a different reaction from a father and a mother isn't there? What does a father do when a baby begins to cry suck it up? It's not that big a deal. You just fell, scraped your knee. You'll be all right, right? Or hey, they need to grow from this. They need to learn from this. Uh, Dad's reaction is, hey, let's grow. Let's learn. Let's do better. What's a mama's reaction? Oh, come here, sweetheart. I'm so sorry you did that, right? Our youngest daughter, Hazel, she won't even be hurt. She just needs mama to acknowledge that she could have got hurt, right? She fell down. She just needs mama to say, hey, it's okay. And then she's fine after that. You see, there's something about a woman's heart and a baby crying. J. Vernon McGee has a quote that says this God brought together a little baby's cry and a woman's heart down by the river Nile when Pharaoh's daughter went to bathe. You see, God ordained this moment. God brought this moment together. And when she opens the basket, Moses does the exact right thing he needs to do. He cries, and it brings compassion and mercy to her heart. Pharaoh's daughter looked upon this baby and she had every right to do what? She had every right to send the baby to its death. Doesn't she? In fact, to honor her dad, maybe to get brownie points with her father, she could have had this baby killed and said, look what I did for you, Pharaoh. But instead she chose to have mercy in the middle of chaos. The definition of mercy is this, is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is within one's power to punish or harm. She had every right to punish or harm Moses, but instead chose compassion. Look, what we see in the middle of these two chaotic verses, right? Miriam's watching. Mama let baby go. Uh, Baby's being killed in the Nile. In the middle of these chaotic verses, what we see is that God brings compassion and mercy to the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen, nothing can stop the plan of God. Pharaoh's daughter is not an Israelite. Pharaoh's daughter doesn't have a relationship with God, but he is still working even on behalf of her for his plan to be woven together. Listen, are you in the middle of chaos right now? Think of these verses. Are you in the middle of chaos right now? I want to give you a great promise. God is working and God can bring mercy into your situation. He can use people around you to bring mercy. But more than focusing on yourself in this moment, what I want to do is flip it on its head. Believer in the room. I ask you, and if you don't have any other takeaway, take this one away today. Believer in the room, would you be a person that steps in the middle of someone else's chaos and suffering to bring mercy? Would you show compassion to those who are hurting? That's who we are to be as Christ followers. We need to make the choice to engage in someone else's suffering, to carry the load with them, and to bring compassion and mercy where we can. You see, be the presence of mercy that is needed in someone else's life. We, we get so self-centered, don't we? That, that, that's who we are as people. We only see our problems and our difficulties. And I know many of you are walking through those right now. But sometimes we need to take a step back and have compassion and mercy on those around us and see how we can serve them to help them know that God has not abandoned them in their moments. I I read a story from the civil right after the Civil War. I mean, immediately after the Civil War, after Lee's surrender at the end of the Civil War, uh, President Lincoln comes onto the balcony to give an address to the people who are there, and he told them what what, he begins to tell them about the policy he had in mind and how they would handle the South now that the war was over. And, And one of the senators at the end of the speech, he speaks up and says, "What shall we do with the rebels?" And the vindictive crowd, they begin to speak up and they begin to say, hang them. We need to hang them for their rebellion. Hang them. But Tad Lincoln, Lincoln's son, a little boy, he looked, he turned to his father, looked at him and said, no, no, Papa, not hang them, hang on to them. And Lincoln looks at his son and says, that's it. Tad has it. We must hang on to them. They are our people. Tad Lincoln was 11 years old when he showed mercy. Think about it, they, 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 they were enemies, right? The, our country divided in enemies, and, and one side wanted to destroy the other side, and Tad Lincoln, the voice of reason, the voice of mercy in a chaotic moment says, no, let's hang on to them. They are our people. You see, we talked about this some last week, but we see when we look at the word of God that God created us and loved us and gave us everything we needed, we rebelled against God. And because of that, we became enemies of God. But what I love about the heart of God is he is one who has shown us mercy. He had every right to punish us or harm us, but instead he chose compassion for us. And he said, no, those are my people. Let's hang on to them. And in mercy, he had the greatest act of mercy that could ever be in sending his son to come and live a perfect life and and die on a cross for us so we would not be enemies any longer if we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are to be people of mercy because our God is a God of mercy. And in this moment, we see what mercy can do. I'm so thankful that in the most unsettled moments of my life, as I think back on them and as I live them right now, I can know that unsettled does not equal unguided and that God is using it. And sometimes He uses other people to help us see that. It leads us to our third and final point today. Third point is this God can use anything and anyone to accomplish his plans. Amen? God can use anyone or anything to accomplish his plans. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 7. It says, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? All right, think about it again. This moment happens. Miriam's watching her baby brothers in the basket, gets discovered. Pharaoh's daughter sees, um, opens the basket. Moses cries. Pharaoh's daughter sees it. Now, Miriam doesn't know that Pharaoh's daughter has compassion, right? You can't necessarily see that in that moment, but she's watching this unfold. What I love about Miriam is her courage in this moment. What would most of us have done? If, you, if you're real, I know like most of us like to think we're really brave, but in those moments, a lot of times we're not. But what Miriam does is incredibly courageous and brave. Most people would have turned and run back to mom, right? Mom and dad and say, the basket was taken. Pharaoh's daughter found the basket. But instead, she speaks up in this moment, right? And she is so quick. She doesn't run. She doesn't fight. She speaks up, and God uses her. Verse 8, go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Stop right there for just a minute. Imagine this conversation. Hey, do you want me to go get a woman who's nursing to help you go and find one? Run Run back to mom and imagine this conversation of like, Okay, the basket was found. Oh my goodness, right? What is happening? Well, uh, not only was it found, but Pharaoh's daughter found it. And it's like, oh, that's terrible, right? That's terrible news. Yeah, but my mom, you just have to come with me really quick. Come with me, let's go back. So they get there, verse 9. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child, listen, nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. Don't miss what God has done right here. God has rescued Moses from the river of destruction. He has found by Pharaoh's daughter, who showed mercy on him for no reason, Miriam speaks up with a plan and brings the mother. And now Moses's mother gets to raise her own son and listen, and she gets paid for it. You would sign up for that, wouldn't you moms? To get paid for it. Look at what God is doing in this story. This is amazing redemption, how God is working this all together. Listen, God uses Moses's mom he uses his sister and even the daughter of Pharaoh to protect, to provide, and to position his plan for redemption for his people. God is doing something amazing here. What well, we see, there's a word for this. We call it God's providence. God's prov- what do I mean by God's providence? Well, providence is God taking natural events that happen and weaving them together for a supernatural purpose. And events happen in our life. And all these events are natural. There was nothing supernatural about what happened up until this moment. But God's weaving them together for a supernatural purpose that we will see in the life of Moses. Listen, hear me in your life today. You may think things are falling apart. You may think there's no hope and nothing makes sense. But remember, God's mysterious providence. God is working things together and he works all things out for his perfect will For his glory and our good. Verse 10 says this. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And it became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now think of this. Some time has passed now. She got to to raise her, her son for a while. Now Moses' mother has to hand Moses back over. She's still showing her faith in the life of Moses, even in this moment. That phrase has stuck with me this week. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Think of the faith she's demonstrated in the life of her baby, and now she has to hand him over, and he becomes her son. This has to be such a hard moment, but hear me. Even in this difficult moment, God is still using it. God is crafting it together. You see, Moses needed to be raised in that household. God had planned for Moses to be raised up in that household. The house that was trying to kill Moses is now the house that is raising Moses. Think about how amazing that is. The the, the house that made the decree to throw the baby boys in the Nile is now the one who has taken him in to raise him up. And listen, the name Moses was given in this moment. And it means to draw out. And she's using it in the sense of, I drew him out of the river. I pulled him. I I took him out of the river. But there's a prophecy here of how God is working all things together. You see, Moses would be the one, the man who drew the people out of Egypt. God is using even this moment in the life of Moses. The house that was raising him now is the house that was equipping him for the task to be the leader, to lead the people out of Egypt later on. In Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, it says this, When he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own son. Listen to this. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. God is using all of this to make Moses the man he needs him to be, to be the leader he needs him to be. God can use anything or anyone to accomplish his purposes. He did it in the life of Moses and he can do it in your life as well. This is a great promise we see from the life of Moses. We continue to walk through it. I don't want to give you very many spoilers for the week ahead, weeks ahead. But God uses, his, uses these unsettled moments in the life of Moses in tremendous ways to make Moses the exact person he needs him to be. You see, in this moment, he's raising him in the Pharaoh's household to, to grow him in wisdom and make him powerful in speech and action. But we're going to see soon next week how he is without a people. And he is out in the wilderness and he is shepherding sheep how he feels alone. As we walk through suffering in life, sometimes, you see, Moses would one day get to the Red Sea moment, but he's not there right now. And his suffering doesn't seem to make sense. And sometimes we walk through these difficult moments, and God is using the unsettled moments of our life to weave them together for a supernatural event. But we don't know it, we can't see it, but we have to trust him. And sometimes in those moments, we we like to think there's a Red Sea moment coming, but all of us aren't Moses. Sometimes he's using it like he did in the life of Moses just to make him who he wants him to be. And stripping everything away, stripping our success away, our pride away, our competency away, our family away, the things that we hold most dear away to say, God, I trust in you and you're all I need. I don't need my ability I don't need all the status. I don't need the popularity. I don't need the promotion. I don't need that other stuff. God, I have you and that is all that I need. Are you at a place where you can say that today? That God, I trust your hand to be working. I trust your plan. And God, you are all that I need. Genesis 50, 20 tells us, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Listen, your life may feel chaotic, it may feel unsettled, but God is not asleep. God has not left you or abandoned you. He is working. He is there with you. Even when you don't see it, He's working. Even when you don't feel it, He is working. He is there with you. Can I tell you today... We see a foreshadowing. We we see um, uh, you, you know about Jesus again. I don't want to get too far into the story, but Jesus is the better Moses. As we see that in our circumstances, in our difficulty, Moses was delivered as a child in unusual circumstances to deliver God's people out of Egypt. And for us today, sitting in this room, we weren't enslaved in Egypt. That's not our story. But we were enslaved in sin. And through unusual circumstances, supernatural circumstances, a child was born to deliver us from our slavery. Do you know that child today? Do you trust him today? I think it's important anytime we study the word of God that we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in our life. And we have a moment to respond to that. And so not for any mystical purposes, but I ask that you would just bow your heads and close your eyes so you could lean into what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. As I just mentioned, God sent a child for us who grew into a man who died on a cross. And for some of us in this room today, the greatest act of faith we could take is to say, God, I trust you with my life. I surrender control. I don't need to know everything or understand everything, but I know you are good and you are God and you love me. And Jesus, your son died for me and I surrender my life to him. And for some of you, that's the act of faith. That's the act of trust you need to take today. Just say, God, I trust you with my life. For some of you in the room, you've already made that decision. And you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But, man, life is unsettled. Life's tough. It's difficult. It's chaotic. I want to remind you today that you are not alone. And not only does he see you and know you, but he is working all things together. He's taking the events of your life and molding them together for a supernatural pers- purpose. Do you have faith today? Do you believe that God is working? Maybe for some of you, this needs to be a line in the sand of moment where you say, God, I trust you. With the moment I'm walking through right now, with the heartbreak I'm walking through right now, with the loss I'm walking through right now, the mourning I'm walking through right now, I trust you, God. I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I believe you. I trust you. As I see you work in the life of Moses, I trust you today. Would you surrender control to him and just say, God, I believe you're working, even when I don't see it. I just want to ask, as as I'm one of the pastors on our staff, I would love to pray for you in this moment. Is there anyone in this room that you would say, Evan, I'm walking through one of those unsettled moments of life, and would you pray that I could have faith that God is with me in the middle of it? Would anyone raise your hand and say that you're there right now? I see you. I see you. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are a good father. And as we live life, the longer we live it, sometimes it feels like things don't make sense. We walk through heartache. We walk through chaotic moments, unsettled moments. But God, they're never unguided. Life can feel like that roller coaster, as I talked about at the beginning, where we feel just out of it. We feel out of control. We don't don't understand it. But God, we are on the path you've called us to. You are guiding those moments for your glory. Would we trust you? God, for the hands that were raised a moment ago, I don't know what they're walking through but ask today that they would feel your presence more than ever. And God, they would have a supernatural trust and faith in you. They would believe that you are good and that you're working all things together. Would they trust you today? And would they give glory and honor even in the midst of suffering? God, if there's any in the room that need to surrender all control to you, they've been running life the way, the way they want to and, in those moments, those difficult moments, they, they figure out they can't do it on their own. And right now, would they surrender all control of their life? All, would they give all faith to you and believe in you? That you love them and that you have a plan and a purpose for their life. Gotta pray for us as your people. Would We trust you even in the most difficult moments of life because you are good and you don't leave us. Just as you didn't leave Moses. I ask all these things in your name, God. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need, and I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104, and we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.